Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome to season two of the Talking with Traders podcast series with me, Garth McKenzie. In this season, I'll be interviewing various successful traders and investors in my network and asking them pertinent questions about their career in the financial markets. I'll also be discussing how they've dealt with the recent surge in market volatility following the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic and how they are viewing the future as we all adjust to a new way of working. We'll also be talking about market themes that are likely to gain traction in a post-COVID-19 world. Joining me on today's Talking With Traders podcast is a man called James Gubb. James used to be a client of mine when I was a, a broker at BOE, brokering single stock futures. And uh, we, we parted ways, I guess, James, when I left BOE in 2009 and started my own thing. And, uh, and we didn't really communicate very much since then. But you became somewhat famous in the last couple of years in South Africa for something completely different. And that was the middle finger that you, your, your stock market art, I think it was the first stock market art that had ever been created. And you, you used the, the illiquid shares of uh, Oak Bay Resources, the Gupta company, to create a whole bunch of trades, effectively trading against yourself at different prices. And in order to do that, created a wonderful middle finger image on the chart of Oak Bay resources. And it was brilliant. I mean, I think everybody in South Africa was cheering you on, except the JSE, who being, you know, being the JSE didn't see the funny side of it and find you a hundred thousand rand. So that's a little bit about, you know, James Gubb and the, what people might recognize about you, James. And that we can talk about that in a, in a moment. But welcome to the podcast. And, um, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Garth. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to our discussion. Yeah. Let's go back a little bit, James, right to the beginning. I mean, as I said, I, uh, I used to broker single stock futures at BOE back in those days. You were one of our clients. It was in your personal capacity that I was your broker, not in, a, in, in any other professional uh, asset management capacity. But you go back a long way. You've got a long history in the market. Um, can you maybe take us right back to the beginning of your career and how you got involved and what sort of path your career in the market followed? Sure, sure. Um, I mean, right in the early, early days, my, my, my father was a bit of a gold bug uh, back in the early 70s, 73, 74, 75. And uh, he, he used to chart by hand point and figure charts on, on these gold stocks. Now, if you cast your mind back to 75, that was the start of, the, of a really strong uh, bull market in gold. And I was astonished at how much money could make, one could make with um, you know, virtually no effort, ostensibly. Um, and, 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 you know, I had a penny, couple of penny stocks that I, I, I traded uh, back then, straight up into 1980. Um, and, and, and I suppose that was my technical analysis background. It was literally point and figure charts drawn on, uh, you know, on, on a piece of paper. Uh, I mean, I, just as an aside, you've got to listen to this, Garth. My, my mother had an amazing trading strategy. She uh, also did these lines on, on pieces of paper. And I, I remember her buying Anglo-American back then. And, and, and she kept a record of, of, of the chart of Anglo-American. And her discipline was when it 
ended up at the end of the page, it either ended up at the top of the page or to the right of the page, she sold the share. <laughs> that, 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 that was her methodology. And it worked extraordinarily well. Um, it, because if, it, if it, it, it meant if the stock price went too far up, then she sold it. Or if it went off the paper, down, she sold it as well. Um, it, it, it lent me, I mean, it's as simple as and mad as it sounded, it was, it was as good a, a, a technical analysis uh, a, a strategy as, as, as any other. That's actually um, incredible because yeah, it is, I mean, as you said, sometimes the most simple things actually work the best. And I guess that's yeah, it, right? Yeah. You get to the end of, if you're at the top right of the page, take some money, you've made a profit. And if it gets to the bottom right of the page, well, then clearly it's not working. Get out and take a loss and move on the, to the next. I mean, I, I think that's quite right. I mean, all technical, oh, to me, I'm a bit radical on this, but I think all really technical analysis does is provide a framework for approaching uh, positions in markets. It helps mitigate risk and it instills discipline. My first job was at, at Alan Gray. Um, I was their dealer, their equities dealer, together with Annette Hearn. I think she runs, uh, I can't remember which one, uh, Citadel, I think it is, um, in, in South Africa. And uh, yeah, so I traded, uh, I was uh, also the technical analyst there for my sins. And I learned a lot from, from Alan himself. Uh, he, he was a consummate market man. Um, and he, he, every lunchtime, we did nothing but discuss price trends in various stocks and commodities. Um, it, was, it, was a wonderful, it was a wonderful learning experience. I then, after that, went to Ford and Mankeys, um, now Ford Asset Management, and I was the PA to Dave Ford there. Then I got headhunted, went to, uh, under Paul Beachy head at Southern Asset Management. I was their dealer and did a CFA, then became a fund manager. And then when I got taken over by R&B, joined together with a guy called Frederick Bouchard, who uh, together uh, we went to African Harvest Capital and uh, launched a series of hedge funds there. Um, yeah, under the watchful eye of Ethan Dewey and uh, a couple of other elements. So, yeah, um, and then after that, uh, when Mzi Kamala bought African Harvest, he took all the money in my hedge fund and uh, bought African Harvest. It was, it was uh, and 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 said, right, start again. You know, here's five million rand. I said, no thanks. So, yeah, so, so Fred and I uh, launched by ourselves, and we raised a billion rand. Quite quickly, uh, we did very, very well, uh, compounding at north of 40% for, for, for many years uh, until 08 came along. Um, we did minus 21% in the crash. Uh, they said we weren't, you know, we should have made money and we lost it. So all the fund of funds guys got together and moved as a pack, and we lost over 70% of our assets under management. At that time, I got cancer. I got peripheral arterial disease. I was in horrible shape um, and decided to call it quits and give myself a little more time and space. Um, ever since then, I've been trading for myself, uh, making money, losing money, doing weird and wonderful things, but my time is my time now. And uh, I, I, the flexibility is, uh, has, has no price attached to it. Well, that's right. And I, <laughs> I have to tell the listeners this story because you're so right in what you say. So we, we, we actually had to reschedule this uh, interview 
James and I, because we were supposed to speak about two weeks ago and uh, we had it all organized. And then by half past nine at night, my phone went and it was from James Gubb and a message went something along the lines of, Goth, I'm terribly sorry to do this to you. It's extremely unprofessional, but the surf is really going to be good tomorrow in Jeffrey's Bay. Please can we cancel the interview and do it another time? And, <laughs> and I loved it. I thought, well, that's fantastic. You know, you're, you're doing what you love. You've worked bloody hard your whole life. You've gotten to a point where you've earned that flexibility. And I think that's what so many people strive for in, in their lives. And, you know, the stock markets and trading and investing ultimately can get you there if you do it right. And you've clearly done yeah. it right and you've earned that freedom. So, you know, kudos to you and well done. And I think it's brilliant that you're living your life and, and, and as you say, your time is your own. And uh, yeah. things must be on your time, your terms of time, not everybody else's. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, I think, I think that's right. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, talking about time, what I did, I took that advantage of the kind of uh, infamy, I suppose, of of drawing that stock chart, uh, and 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 it provided me a platform to actually approach the professors at uh, Michaela School of Fine Art. Uh, this was two years ago. Uh, as as pretext of, of a portfolio, an art portfolio. So, um, and they accepted me with a little bit of trepidation as some form of conceptual artist. So I went to Michaelis and uh, you know, spent full time, you know, study at at Michaelis School of Fine Art, uh, which which was an education in itself. I, I had to, you know, I stuffed the average age up a lot, um, but yeah, I shared my uh, I shared a studio with three beautiful girls, um, all under the age of 23, that all had their own stories. And they were kind of uh, somewhat aghast at this old fart arriving. But, you know, I, I, I showed them a thing or two, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I love that story. And uh, Now, the art side of things is interesting. Um, is that something you were into throughout your life beforehand? Or is this something that you've only picked up later on in life? No, I've always loved my art. I mean, you know, unfortunately, I had to give up art and matric to take up accounting, so I could get a proper, you know, mark, so I could go and do business science at, at, at UCT. But you know, I, I, I've always been interested in art, uh, and yeah, I, at the moment, I'm dividing my time between painting focusless fields, which is kind of like a, a weird way of uh, meditation, where I. Uh, I, 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 I use oil pastels to make marks in a kind of a meditative state. And uh, every time I think of anything, uh, my discipline is to move my canvas 90 degrees. So to kind of reset your mind, go back to breath and, and, and start making marks again. So some of these canvases are, 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 are rather interesting. I'm building up, now I've now got about 30 of them and I hope to have an exhibition at the end of the year. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Because, okay, um, yeah, it was predominantly uh, kind of uh, inspired by by Samuel Beckett, you know, the Irish playwright, who spoke of a of a, of a, a an artist in in France called Andre Masson, who aspired to be rid of the servitude of space, so that his eye may frolic amongst focusless fields, tumultuous with incessant creation. Mm. So it, it's a kind of a space that you move into that you know anything goes and you and, and you and you relax in in into the space by making these marks. It, it, it's 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 yeah. So yeah, 
not foci- focusing completely on markets uh, as, as, has got its um, advantages. Yeah, it certainly yeah. does. And I think, yeah, sometimes that yeah, time sometimes. away is, uh, is very, very valuable. It also helps to, you know, as you say, to refocus the mind. And um, I'm similar in some ways. I also took art to metric. And it, in fact, it was my best <laughs> subject at school. But I also gave it up to study accounting and economics and get into the stock market. Um, yeah. But the art is something I'd very much like to take up one day. Um, that's not Do it. I've Do got. it. Yeah. Don't mess around. Do it. Mm, mm. Now, just quickly, since we're talking art, let's quickly get back to that middle finger that you did on the Oak Bay share price. Now, (laughs) it certainly made a big statement and a statement that I I think everybody everybody that I know in South Africa thought was very much uh, a required statement to be made about the Guptas and what they've done to the country. But, um, yeah, obviously it got you into a little bit of hot water. You had to pay quite a hefty fine. Can you tell us a little bit about that time and just the, the issues you had to deal with regarding the, the fine and the sanctions that were held against yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, I, I tell you what I was really worried about because I'm a chartered financial analyst. Um, the threat was from the Financial Services Board they were going to report me to the CFA Institute and uh, obviously take away my CFA because I was a very naughty boy. I took it upon myself to, to report myself to the CFA before they did um, and, and stated my case. And uh, there was a, a month delay and it came back and they said, uh, this is um, not, it's sort of illegal um, because of price manipulation, et cetera, but, but you clearly didn't have a profit motive um, and, and, uh, try and refrain from making the symbolic uh, trading um, activity again, which was very mature. It's exactly what should have, uh, the FSB should have done, um, but they didn't. They were too stupid. Um, and, and that caused you know, kind of the Streisand effect, you know, unanticipated uh, consequences of what you think is, what they thought was doing was right. Um, and and mushroomed to the point where Bloomberg took it up worldwide. I got a full page in in the Economist. I mean, you know, most com- companies would be you know green with envy to be able to get a full page in the Economist on their company. I mean, I I got it you know for nothing. Yeah. So I got an enormous amount of notoriety, I suppose, and 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 a good feeling as a consequence. I I, I felt good doing it even though it cost me a hundred thousand yeah well that's it i'm sure you did feel good and i mean everybody was doing a big big pat on the back to you for that um I, I thought at the time that um, a bunch of people had gotten together to crowdfund your hundred thousand rand fine yes was that right yes. or, or, or not that is correct they're, they're, they're raised i mean two independent people never met them before uh it, it did a thunder fund or whatever and i think it was sixty-eight thousand rand uh or seventy thousand rand was raised um, and I, I, in turn, handed that back to the likes of Outer and uh, Maverick and uh, other such entities that continue to try and fight against corruption you know, I, yeah. in, in, in South Africa. Yes. I also did a, I also did a, a I mean, talking about politics and stuff, um, in my final year at, at Michaelis, I did a, a, a series of, of pigs, sculptural pigs, that represented various corrupt companies in South Africa. Uh, it, it's to me, it's my best stuff I've ever done. Um, 
And it, uh, yeah, it, 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 these pigs are extraordinary. Go and you can Google them on the on on the net. You just Google my name, and you might see a few of them. Okay, uh, but, but 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 those were good. Yeah, well, I think that finger probably got you great. As you said, it's got you the kind of marketing exposure that money couldn't buy. So, and certainly a lot more than a hundred thousand Rand would have bought you. So absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Now, when we were talking um, off the recording just beforehand, you said to me that you wanted to also just discuss um, trading versus investing. And obviously, this is a, a tr- talking with traders podcast. So as much as I'm loving talking about the art and all of that, we've got to yeah. try and also st- talk a little bit more about stock market and what, sure. and what have you. Sure. Sure. And you, you said sure. to me, you, you've got a fairly broad um, or fairly specific uh, identification of what is trading and what is investing. And there's a vast difference between the two, which yeah. I, I certainly yeah. agree with. Yeah. I, I, but tell I us your, I, your perspective. What are the difference between the two? Yeah. I, I, I will. I, mean, I think it's imperative to understand the difference between investment and trading because it leads to dramatically different strategies in trying to maximize profit. You know, take, for instance, the strict trading discipline of always entering a trade with a stop loss. Uh, when investing with a fundamental background, when an asset falls in price and becomes cheaper in terms of its PE ratio or price to sales or EV to EBITDA or any other fundamental statistic or rational response uh, is want to, sorry, the, the, the rational response is, is to want to own more of it. One buys more as it becomes cheaper and cheaper. This implies adding to a losing position or averaging down. Which, which is often the exact opposite of what you should do in, in trading. It also implies buying into the belief that the asset will eventually return to its mean or change direction in price and start going up. You're trying, therefore, to pick a bottom. And, and, and that often flies in the face of, 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 of trading strategy. There is no such thing in investment, really, as a stop loss. So there are two, let's go a little further. It flies in the face of another classic market investment principle of, sorry, so I'm going a little bit forward here. It, 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 bear with me for a second here. It, it, I'm just going to go across and, and, and try and, 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 give you an idea of what my ideal trade would be. And it would be to go long an asset from a trading perspective with a trailing stop and hold the position irrespective of how much it appreciates and how big it gets as a proportion of one's total portfolio until one is stopped out. It it leads to believing strongly in my favorite market adage it takes guts to be a greedy pig. Now, it, it, it flies in the face of another classic market investment uh, story of the only, the only real free lunch of traditional asset management is, is, uh, is, is diversification. 
simply because of the fact that adding to lowly correlated assets to a portfolio adds to the risk return characteristics of a portfolio. I mean, th that might well be the case, but it totally destroys the possibility of hanging on to that 10 or 20 bagger, mm -hmm. the investment that could have made you very, very rich. So I say, what, do whatever you can to hold on to that winner. It takes guts because you've got so much specific risk. Some say, and generally, who are those people that say it? It's the bankers that want your, 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 your com. But they say, own zero-cost collars if you've got that big position, you know, to try and hedge it. But I, I say, no, if you're going to do anything, buy deep out the money puts on that position. Say 20% out the money, 30% out the money. You sacrifice 1% or 2% of your capital doing that, and then never, ever sell the upside. You never, ever know how a good 10 or 20 bagger high, how high it can go. It means outlaying around 1% or 2% per annum of your value of your position, but it keeps you long despite valuation and overweight concerns. And in fact, this kind of strategy can only really work if you manage your money yourself. Professional money managers are not allowed to do it. If a position in a mutual fund or ETF gets too big, they're forced to sell it because of position size limits. So you actually have an advantage of sorts over the pros by following the strategy. And it follows the simple trading strategy of holding your winners and folding your losers. I, I, this is quite radical. Uh, and, 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 but I think the predominant uh, uh, way of making large amounts of money in, in, in trading is that holding on to that one idea, that one stock, and holding on to it for dear life. And, and it, 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 it's, it's always, you know, it's the 80-20 rule, but I think it's more a 95-5 rule. It's, you've got to hold on to those winners. Obviously, cutting losses, et cetera, et cetera, another thing. But I think this is a, this is a, this is a way to, to proper investment wealth, or it certainly has been in in. in in my case. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, on this um, series of talking with traders, I've spoken to um, Cy Jacobs of 361 Asset Management and JP yeah. Herster at Protea Capital Management. And, you know, in both cases, they've been very long of NASPIS, but have admitted they had to cut back the position because of exactly what you said, position size limits and risk limits and what have you. And yes. unfortunately, doing that was disadvantageous. They could have made a great deal more money had the rules allowed them to just hold on to that position, no matter how big it got. So exactly what and, you say. And it's, it's yeah. I guess, going back to what you said at the beginning of the interview, it's kind of following in some way the, the philosophy that your mom's did with her charting. As long as it's going up to the top right of the page, keep it. If it falls out the bottom of the page, well, then clearly you've got to get out and move on. Yeah, yeah. It's, or just, just, just add another piece of paper when it gets to the top right corner of the page and keep it. Yeah. It's easier said than done, you know, it, because it, it does. It takes guts to be a greedy pig. Yeah, I, it's I, a great saying that. I must say, I'm going to remember <laughs> that one. Every one of these podcast interviews has got a nugget, and that's probably the nugget I'm going to take out of this one, James. <laughs> but on following on from that, I mean, what, what is your approach to risk then? Because um, you, you've alluded to it, you know, you buy deep out the money puts and whatever. But you, you're managing your own money now. Um, yes. You don't have clients. You told me you 
got rid of all your clients, which is a nice thing to have done, and you've got freedom on your side. But what is your approach to risk now when it comes to managing your own money? You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG, a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes. You know, it, obviously diversification is, is, is key. I mean, I, I, I've, I've, you know, in terms of my investable wealth, uh, uh, I mean, I'm working on a, a whole system right now that kind of it's kind of a Rubik's cube kind of analogy, but I, I, I can't talk too much about that because it's 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 still undeveloped. Um, but you know, you, 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 your your asset classes. I mean, I think I think you've got a uh, there's a oh, gosh, I can't remember his name, Chris Cole. Uh, who talks about volatility uh, being an asset class. Um, and I think he's absolutely right. Um, yeah, I think the 60-40 split um, between you know, your traditional asset allocation between equity and bonds as a big, you know, as a big allocation kind of overlay is, is going to change. Um, in fact, it is changing as we speak. Um, it, 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 so... So you know, one meant to counterbalance the other, uh, and 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 now in our world of zero uh, interest rates along the entire curve, um, the that counterbalance does is is somewhat thwarted um, in 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 bonds. Um, so risk mitigation through 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 bond allocation i think is is seriously problematical in a, in in a zero interest rate environment mm. so what what does one do then if 40% of your assets are meant to go there or traditionally over the last 40 50 100 years um what does one do um and, 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 and then you look at the equity side or particularly in the developed market side by any uh classical measure of value, um, it is extraordinarily overpriced. Um, it, then, what, what are you what are you going to invest in? Um, it, so, so, so it, 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 the whole risk story is kind of uh, it, it looks fine at the moment because markets on the equity side are still up, and the bond markets have gone through a, a forty-year bull market, the likes of which the world has never seen. Um, we kind of feel, well, I kind of feel this is, you know, it, it's kind of the end of where does one go from zero? Yes, negative. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one has to mitigate risk by looking at other asset classes. And other asset classes, I would have to include physical assets. And one of the physical assets would be gold. And, and I, I go back to, you know, my father was a gold bug. I suppose I'm a gold bug now. Um, I wasn't in the past. I am very significantly now. Because I think it's an uh, an alternative to uh, to bonds, um, and and it should be treated as such. On the equity front, I think uh, obviously you need a portfolio of 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 of, of, of equities, um, you divided by country, divided by uh, uh, various. Uh, 
large cap or small cap, and also divided uh, in terms of uh, industry. In terms of, of asset classes, that 60-40 split between equities and bonds, I think has to be questioned in, in, in a negative interest rate environment, literally across the curve. If, if, if you look at bonds issued uh, on a sovereign basis anyway, um, over, I think it's over 80% of all sovereign bonds are yielding sub 1%. I mean that's that's an extraordinary stat, mm. uh, and 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 so so I would as as old Jim Grant says uh, I would consider the bond market to be return free risk here, um, and 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 you need to look at another uh, another alternative, um, and believe it or not, gold comes into play as as a substitute. I would suggest for for the bond allocation, which was traditionally forty percent. If you don't have 20% of your investable wealth in, in gold, bullion, uh, and all precious metals, I'd have to include platinum, palladium, silver in that, um, you, I think you're going to miss a trick. Um, so then going to the equity side, obviously mitigating risk is, is essential, uh, essential there. So you need a portfolio of stocks. What, what portfolio of stocks would I orientate myself towards? Uh, um, it, it, it wouldn't be towards the fangs. I think they're too expensive. It would be towards emerging markets because I think they're offering relatively good value compared to developed markets. And I would orientate myself towards commodities, which seem to be at around a 100-year low relative to, to developed stock markets. So I suppose I've got a value bias given my, you know, my background. Um, but I think you'll be well rewarded by looking at those kind of stocks. You know, I mean, getting down to specifics, um, the Ivanhoe's, I suppose, you know, that have got you know, absolutely top-end quality ore bodies sitting there with a very smart guy at the top and, and very good access to, uh, to capital. Um, it, it, it's in the style of that that, that I would... I would allocate my capital for the next 10 years or so. Right. Okay. That's, that's good to hear. You did allude a bit uh, earlier to technicals and you, you spoke obviously about running profits and that. Now, I want to just try and tie that back together because I found that very, very interesting. And it's certainly something I try to do myself as well in, in an effort to run the profits as much as possible. But sure. do you have a, a specific technical way of, of running a profit, I guess, because it's, it's still, for me, the hardest part of trading and investing is knowing the right time to sell because Agreed. you're either going to sell too early or alternatively you, you hang on and you give a large chunk of that profit back. Okay. Um, and then I mean, you can talk about simple, you know, running moving averages and things like that sure. to try and hold you in a trade. But do you have any specific technical indicator that you use to help you run profits? It's difficult to describe it right here, Garth. It's a little more complicated than uh, I would, you know, I can try and describe it. Um, I have a fundamental basis. You know, I, I do have a fundamental basis that uh, it interests me in a particular area of the market. So, for example, a gold stock, uh, Harmony. Uh, I, I think it's really, really cheap. Back a couple of years ago, it looks as though it was going bankrupt. Um, it, it, but it, it, it had potential. I, could see that it wasn't going to die. So I, fund, I had a fundamental bullish uh, bias toward gold. So I, 
I had a fundamental desire to get into the stock. I had to wait for the stock to break. Obviously, breakouts, classic breakouts, a percentage change increase in price added with volume is, is classic. And, and, and I, I waited for that. It was kind of a descending wedge back into a couple of years ago and, and bought it. Once you buy it, you buy, you buy as much as you can. You're 100% waiting, whatever that is in terms of your total portfolio. It might be 10%. Then I start charting it. And the way I chart it is simply to look at, at, at bar charts, daily bar charts. I try and it's going to hourlies, et cetera. You will then get whipsawed and, you, and your broker will make the money, not you. Mm. So I, I try and do it on a daily basis. And my absolute desire is never, ever to sell that share. So I keep my stops as wide as I possibly can stomach. My 100% position, I trade in in. In par- I, I try and draw a line, you know, a positive sloping line underneath my entry, my entry point. Um, and, in, 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 and I draw a parallel line, the tops on the tops and the bottoms on the bottoms. Then if I have a 100% allocation to that stock, so, so, so say it's a million rand, I, I, I've got a full allocation in, in, on entry. If it runs up to the top end of my parallel line, it, top, it touches the top parallel line, I will take profit. And I will use, I use the commodity channel index plus a COPOC. Um, and and uh, it's just two arbitrary lines. So my COPOC, it's basically an overbought, oversold indicator, both of them. But when, when they start turning down, then I, I, I trade... I trade the position within the parallel band. It's kind of like Bollinger bands, but but I just simple. I use simple parallel lines, and 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 at the top of the parallel line, I've got a hundred percent, and when it hits the bottom of the parallel line, I've got fifty percent long, still long. Mm. So if it gets down to the position all the way down again, and I, I will still hold the fifty percent because I've got in on a fundamental basis. So I have then and the courage on a fundamental basis, if it gets back to where it was, is to possibly add more because I've got 50%, I'm back up to 100%. So I've taken, in, and I've taken a, a, an investment decision in the beginning, and then I, I, I treat it as a trade within, a parallel, within these parallel bands. I don't know if that makes sense to you. So, 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 so I, 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 if, if it continues further and my fundamental view then says, yeah, it's now kind of reasonable value, I will still, t- uh, you know, neither cheap nor expensive. I will then, I will still trade within my parallel, my parallel lines. Um, and and if, it, if it goes to the top of the line, I, I will sell down, down to 50%. And if it goes to the bottom of the parallel line, I will, I, I will generally try and add or take it up to 75%. If it breaks the parallel line and, I'm, and the fundamental value is, is in the middle, I will exit my position. Gosh. So it's, it's a, it, it's, this dance is totally dedicated towards trying to hold that position forever. Yeah. 
Yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. I kind of think, I suppose you could call it a trade vesting approach almost. So you're, you're in it, you've got your, your core position, but you are trading around it to some extent, as long yes. as it continues to perform the way that you're wanting it to. And yes. you're obviously trying to take advantage of some of the volatility yeah, because, along the way. Because markets go way beyond um, a fundamental valuation levels. And this is... And this is where the meat, often the meat of the move, just look at the last tech, the tech stocks in the last four or five years. You know, you, you can make an absolute bloody fortune at the last bit of the bull market. It, mm. you, it, 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 you, you must be in it at that time. And often you'll get whipsawed. And, you know, I mean, you will get whipsawed on the way. You must be able to take a 30% bath. You must be able to do that mm. you, you, in order to be able to get the 10 bagger in, in, in your pocket. Yeah. To, to that point then, James, I mean, you and I first met, obviously, when I was broking futures. Futures, of course, are leveraged product and depending on how you utilize them, but they give you the ability to take leverage, of course. Um, yeah. Are you trading with leverage now or not? Yes. Yes. To, to, to a point. To a point. I mean, look, if you, uh, I... I I look at my leverage and deleverage it and look at it in my terms of my total portfolio and see, and see what it is. Uh, I will never, ever get into a position where I, I'm, I'm, I'm writing options, I'm writing naked puts. Uh, I, I will never, ever do that. I know there are particularly strategies that one uses by, you know, you know, by you know, protecting yourself if the market goes down 20 or 30%, but... Uh, if it goes down 50%, which is impossible, well, then you know, you're going to lose a lot of money. I, I don't like those kind of positions. In fact, I, I mean, I use futures for, sorry, going back, I'm going on as an aside there. I, I try and avoid risk as much as I possibly can. I try and avoid leverage as much as I can. But it's just convenient getting in and out of, of positions in the futures market. I can pick up the phone. Uh, and and I can exit my position inside five seconds, and and that and that's very attractive. On the stock market, it costs a little bit more, you know. So and and uh, yeah. So do I use the futures market? Yeah, I still use BOE. Well, it's now Nedbank, um, and and I trade actively there. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. That's great. And now, James, um, all of us that have been around in the market for a while have a story. You've been in the market for much longer than what I have. Um, so. We've all got a story or two, and I'm sure you've got many more than a two, one or two to tell. But maybe could you tell us about your, your best and worst uh, trades or best and worst investments in your career? Oh, my God. I mean, how, how many? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the worst ones, I've, I've ridden a lot of stocks to zero. That's, you know, MacMed, uh, Legionet, uh, uh, I've got my badge. Uh, I'm, you know, I, it, it, it's happened. Oh, Delf, geez, Delfu, Delfu, oh my God. Um, I suppose that was the bravest investment I ever made was Del Food. And I can't remember exactly when the hell it was. It was two double, it went into, just bear with me here. I'll try and get my bearings. Uh, two double, Seven somewhere around there it was Dell Food. It earned ten percent of the world's pineapples. Okay. It's a great stock. Okay. Uh, other was a really great stock, and it became private and not private. It became in, into uh, I 
think a, a big Del Monte yard uh, bought it, and it. I took a very big position in because I knew somebody like Anglo would take it out, and I, at some stage it might take a year or two or three, and it was incredibly cheap. So I bought a lot of it, like too much of it, and '08 came along, and it went down. 85%, 90%. But they still own 10% of the world's pineapples. And I sold my house and I held Del Monte for three years, four years. And it went back plus a little bit more to the price I paid for it. Uh, just because I had a good, strong, fundamental belief in the company and the net asset value didn't decline and people still ate pineapples, and they did have a predominant position in the market. That was, that was a scary, that was, I mean, it was, God, in retrospect, I wish I'd never done it. It most probably made me fall ill. Um, but, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah, that was scary. Um, but good in the end. Um, you know, the, 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 I mean, multiple scar wounds. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you, you don't... You don't ever enter the stock market without lots of scars. Lots of scars. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of your best trade or best investment? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm, you know, I've had 10 baggers, 15 baggers. Uh, uh, I suppose Harmony. Uh, Harmony Warrants. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you really want to, like an out-the-box out one. Harmony Warrants. Bernie Swanepoel somehow listed. I mean, I spoke to him a while back and and – and he, as a consequence of that, said, right, well, I mean, we're going to list these Harmony Warrants, which was a, essentially an out-of-money call option on, on, on Harmony, um, a, a trading at a significant discount to what you would have been able to purchase call options for uh, on, 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 in, in, in the derivatives market. And there was just a disconnect there. So what I did is, is I tended to sell those call options in the market, in the derivatives market, and on on and, and on the other side, you used to buy these harmony warrants. So there was two or three year term duration, uh, but deep out the money, um, and and I just odd the two, you know, just like one versus the other for it, well, it was about two years, and I made I don't know, a thousand, certainly more than a thousand percent. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so so there was some lots of low hanging fruit back in. Uh, Oh four, oh five, oh six, oh seven, oh eight. I mean, it was oh embedded put options on uh, what was it, Amic? Uh, yeah, guys just didn't understand or, or look at at stocks in terms of of you know, compositive of options uh, and 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 yield. I mean, I, it, it it was a beautiful time. Yeah, wonderful. Now, as we head um, towards the end of the, of the interview, James, if somebody, a youngster came to you now and said, well, I want to get involved in the stock market. I want to become a fund manager or a trader, and this is what I want to do for my career. What you know, two or three pieces of advice would you give to them? I'd say don't. <laughs> I, I, I really believe that. I mean, I've, I've, got two, I've got twin daughters. They're 28 years old. And, and, and both of them say, ah, we're going to do the stock market. And I said, don't. I mean, I, again, I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin this whole interview, but I, 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 I said, get into things, get into tech, um, because tech is going to dis 
intermediate asset management. And, 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 and through, through, through digitization of, of, of uh, you know, the general core competencies of, 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 of asset managers. And, and I think this is you know, coming to the fore. On the trading side, AI is making a massive, massive inroads into, in, in, into, you know, into trading profits. So I, I, if, if, if I was to give uh, advice to young people to go, go and play stock markets, I would say go and buy companies that are AI-based that go and trade stock markets. I, 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 think, I think we are in the process of being disintermediated by, by AI. I, I, I firmly believe that. Mm. Um, you know, 85% or something of all trades now are not made by human, uh, by humans. Uh, that says something. Yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah. yeah uh, but do something. you not, just on that point, do you not feel that the basic laws of supply and demand are still um, as applicable as they always were? And it's just that there's no. some sort of automatic machine putting the orders in now as opposed to a human being? No, not really. I, I, I mean, I'm looking at, at, at you know, these, these, AI, these algorithms can, can decipher uh, central bank uh, statements uh, quicker than you and I can, can and are generally, and, and put their orders in way before we can. They might be right or wrong in, in, uh, in the end, it's possible. But you're fighting against something that is uh, quicker than you, it's faster than you, and in some ways more intelligent than you. Uh, you have biases that you've got to constantly fight. You've got to fight discipline. You've got to, you know, I, it, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, yes, you know, the, the guys make the machines and, and you tell the machines what to do and garbage in and garbage out and you know, all, that, all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I also look at, at, at how, how money is made at the moment. And, and money uh, is, is not allocated necessarily on what we call fundamentals anymore. Uh, it's, it's based on flow. It's based on percentages in, in passive index funds. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it, 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 it doesn't have... Uh, the logic what the, 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 that we have been dependent on over the last 80 or 100 years, you know, classic Graham and Dodd stuff. Uh, so I'm a little disillusioned here. Um, uh, as, 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 and, and how would I, I uh, tell a person to approach markets now? It, it's... it's uh, I, I would, I would be, I would have far, far more confidence in in getting into the tech space. I, I really would, mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm sorry to say that, Garth, but that's what I think. Yeah, no, but that's what I, what I wanted, honesty, and that's what you're giving us. So thank you. Last question, then, James, before we sign off. Um, are there any books that spring to mind immediately that you would recommend people read when it comes to stock market investing? Ach, just top of my head, just go and do Market Wizards. Gives you lots of inspiration. Yeah. Uh, Market Wizards too, just as, yeah. That, yeah. Mm. Uh, what have I loved? 
Yeah, I really enjoyed Market Wizards. They, they, they might be a bit old now. Mm, no, um, I think they're good. I mean, I loved Market Wizards as well. And he actually keeps on bringing out new ones now. So there's yes, hedge yes, fund Market so, Wizards. And then, I mean, if you really, I mean, I, I, it sounds so boring, but go and read Buffett's letters. They are, I mean, they're free yeah, and, and, and they are extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, go and get a pricey, and you can you can Google on, and it'll give you the the last hundred years and just the best bits of the last hundred years, or not hundred, but I mean you know the the last fifty years of of uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah, I, 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 that would be kind of number one reading for me. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. A number of the guests on these podcasts have actually said exactly that. Go and just download Warren Buffett's letters; they're free, and you can <laughs> read them, and they've got more insight than you're going to get anywhere else. So, I would yeah, agree. Yeah, good insight that. Okay, James, I'm, I'm going to have to wrap it up there. Um, it's been a really interesting talking to you. I thoroughly enjoyed it and listening to your story. And I love the fact that you've got such freedom in your life now and you're pursuing art and surfing and yeah. doing all the things that, that uh, one does when you've, you've, you've done well and you've had a good career. And, and congratulations. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been nice I, catching I, I, Thanks, Garth. You too, man. Good luck, my mate. Yeah, okay. Take care. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking with Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to the series by clicking the subscribe button on your favorite app. Till next time.